Hey, good morning, church. Glad you guys are here today. Hey, good morning, church. Glad you guys are here today. All right, so much better. In the words of Jesus, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Uh, These are some of the last words that Jesus uh, had recorded that John wrote down for us as Jesus was preparing his closest followers for his death on the cross. He goes on to say, John 15, starting at verse 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. Jesus, as I believe that most of us would do if given the opportunity, took those last few hours of life, took those last few minutes with those that he loved to share some words of encouragement, to share some words of warning, to give that last but certainly not least bit of advice before he went to the cross and to his death. He continues with these words in the next chapter. I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, for you'll be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they've never known the Father or me. And he continues in quite a long dialogue talking about leaving this earth, and he sums it up with this verse. He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I don't know about you, but I am really glad to be here today. I'm glad for that extra hour of sleep. I've been glad to be a part of what takes place in this room and have encouraging conversations and hearing uplifting music and the band was awesome today and just really pointed us toward Jesus and it was great. I've got a chance to witness other people serving, whether it was parking or coffee or welcome or, you know, people back in the tech area, you know, just serving God and serving other people. It's been fantastic. It's been a day where I got to experience a lot of joy. But I confess to you that the past couple of weeks, well, the world has just thrown a lot at me. Family members have had situations that they've encountered, experienced, that have brought about fear and anxiety. Dear friends have received news that has brought about uncertainty and sadness. And there are people who are just very new to my life that are facing disease and even facing death. And they're not quite certain how to handle it. Now, if the world is not trying to pummel you into despair, or if you don't know somebody who is feeling the very weight and the attack of the world on them, I'm glad for you. I rejoice with you. I hope it stays that way for you. And I hope you have an extra bedroom or an extra couch because those of us that are feeling the weight of the world might just want to come move in with you for a little while. But see, the reality is, is the impact and the effect of this world that we live in, the impact is it's unavoidable. It's inevitable. And I don't know where your heart is or where your head is as you came in this morning or as you hopped online. I don't know where your worries or your fears or your cares are that you might have carried with you when you came in these doors this morning. 
I don't know if there's stuff going on in your world that made you not even want to come to church this morning or maybe didn't want to log online this morning if you're watching through our live feed. Perhaps you almost didn't come today. And I wonder if today, just like me, you may have needed to be reminded of these words of Jesus. You may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, my friends, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you go before us, that you set the example to us uh, to be an overcomer, that we see that you uh, were an overcomer, and in turn, we also can become overcomers in this world, that you overcame the world by what you did for us as you lived your life on earth, what you did through the cross, what you proved through the resurrection shows that we can overcome. So whatever we're hurting with, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're weighted with today, whatever label identity that we are wearing today, we pray that it would be stripped away, replaced with this idea of being an overcomer. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you haven't been with us for a little while, we are wrapping up our teaching series here at Fork, um, where we have been spending the last few weeks um, asking the question, who are you, right? We've been talking about our identity, and in this teaching, we've been reminded that we live in a world that likes to give labels to people. And as if we really needed to be reminded, this series has pointed out that from an early age, the people we encounter, the situations that we experience... They give us an identity. They try to shape us, uh, shape who we are, and in essence, help shape who we will become. And in the course of, of this, this series, Mike Russell and Ben Cantler have done a great job in helping us see that for the follower of Jesus, that even though the world wants otherwise, that though these other things may have impacted us and even shaped us, that our true identity is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Since our identity is in Christ, we've been reminded that we are saints, that you and I, as followers of Christ, have been set apart for a sacred purpose. And since our identity is in Christ, we've been reminded that we've been born again, that you and I, as followers of Christ, have been given a brand new life. And we've been reminded that since our identity is in Christ, that we have been set free. That you and I, as followers of Christ, are no longer enslaved by the power of sin and death. Saint, born again, free. That's the label. That's who God says that we are. And this week, we're going to be reminded that when we take on the image and the nature of Christ, that when we choose to follow him, that we are overcomers of this world. We are overcomers of this world. If you are a follower of Christ, you are an overcomer. Since I am a follower of Christ, I am an overcomer. Overcomers. I, I like that word. It's a good word. It sort of sounds like a, a band of superheroes, you know, kind of like the X-Men or the Justice League or... The Avengers, right? I mean, think about it. Overcomers. Are you with me on that one? Overcomers. Yeah, I like that, right? In all seriousness, though, this, this idea of being an overcomer, of being a band of, 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 of superheroes, right? It's not such a bad idea. It's not such a bad 
concept. In fact, it can become exhausting when we are trying to do life on our own, when we are wrestling with the battles on our own, when the troubles of the world are coming. Wouldn't it be great if we knew that there were people who we would stand with, that there were people who we would pray with, that there would be people who we would serve with and do life with, and who, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, are indeed overcomers in this world. And isn't it great to know that Jesus, our head, our Lord, and our Savior, that he has already overcome the world. It's been said that the world is a bad neighborhood. Now, I don't know who else says it, but I say it a lot, so I'll take credit. The world is a bad neighborhood. And now there are scattered amongst, uh, you know, what we experience, glimpses of beauty. There are moments of redemption. There are instances of kindness and gentleness. Certainly we see those things. But in the words of Jesus, the world will hate you. It will persecute you. It will reject you. And it may even attempt to kill you. Now, even if the world has not treated you quite that badly, and I certainly hope that it hasn't, it's my experience, and I'm guessing it's probably your experience as well, that in our day-to-day, the world still wants to trap us. It wants to squeeze us. It wants to conform us into its image, into its values, into its priorities. Just look around. I mean, don't look around in here. Look around when you leave this place. Look around when you go out in the world, right? The messages of the world, the images of the world, they abound in our print and are recorded in our social media. There are yard signs and bumper stickers and T-shirts and talk shows that beckon us to act like, to think like, to be something or someone that God did not plan us to be, call us to be, or design us to be. See, the world markets its ideological and philosophical and spiritual wares in hopes that we will simply buy in, that we will simply consume, and that we'll blindly partake in all that it offers, even to the detriment of our conscience, but more so to the detriment of our faith. Almost every week, my wife, Barb, and I, we we play a card game on our phones, but we Zoom in um, with some family members in other states and loved ones in other states, and we'll we'll play cards together, we'll Zoom, we'll have conversations, we'll play these card games. And besides the ever-present but ever-changing banner at the top of our game, there's another uh, video advertisement that will pop in right in the middle of the game, and it will just stay on there seemingly forever and ever. And while my life choices and my life directions probably won't be easily swayed by an ad banner in my Euchre card game, it doesn't mean that the world and all of its trappings are still not trying to shape me, to make me, and to identify me. Just a few weeks ago, um, in our young adult small group that Barb and I lead, we, we did a get-to-know-you question And we asked that if you could relive any day or year of your life, what would that be? 
Now, several of the glass half full, always looking on the bright side, members of the group, swung the pendulum over here, right? They swung it to a, a happier time, a good memory, a good moment, a good day, one that they would repeat again and again if given the opportunity. But for others, the pendulum swung way over here, and it reminded them of a bad place, a bad moment, a costly, life-changing decision, a mistake that the world had tossed out to them like some kind of juicy bait, and we went for it and then wished that we never had. And we longed for that opportunity to live that day over again so that we could make better choices with a different outcome. Because we recognize that sometimes those life choices bring about an identity that we wish we had never gotten. And I wonder if you were to look at your own life and answer that own question for you, what would be that moment that maybe broke you, hurt you, shaped you, that you wish you could do over, that would remake your identity? Maybe it was a question of, well, I, I wish I had never lied. I wish that I had never cheated on that test. I wish I had never looked at that first pornographic image. I wish that I had never cheated on my husband. I don't know what it is. Because the world, though, the world wants us to never leave those moments behind. The world wants us to never let go of those bad moments. It wants to constantly remind us of our failures. The world wants our weakness to be our identity. The world wants us to wear the identity of defeated. And I wonder if you came in this morning feeling like your identity is defeated. Jesus says, take heart because I have overcome the world. Maybe you just had a bad situation, right? You grew up in an abusive home and it's distorted your view of yourself and of others and has affected your marriage, it's affected your parenting. Maybe enter alcohol and an extreme and alcoholism maybe in your own life or the life of a loved one has left its mark. Maybe divorce has carried an impact in your life and you're now unable to trust and unable to commit and unable to find satisfaction in relationships. Oh, I don't know. There's a list could go on and on. I mean, job losses and debilitating illnesses and untimely death of a loved one. Because in those moments, the world never wants us to leave behind those life-changing moments. And the world wants that particular situation to become our identity. You see, the world wants us to live in a state of defeat. And Jesus says... Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, it's possible in the midst of our struggles, we're thinking, well, Jesus, that's easy for you to say. I mean, you know, you're God come down from heaven wrapped up in human skin, right? But let me remind you, friends, as believers, we have taken on the identity of Christ. We wear his identity do you remember that moment where you chose to follow Jesus? When you accepted his purpose and plan for your life? Do you remember when he set you free? Do you remember when you were born again? Now, now whether you fully grasp this truth or not, when that happened, we were no longer defined by our past bad choices. We were no longer defined by our bad years or our bad days. You see, when we chose to follow Jesus, we are no longer defined by our circumstances 
or situation. You see, when we chose to follow Jesus and we recognize that we were made in his image and that our identity was found in him, we begin to recognize that the struggle is no longer our own. That the guilt is no longer ours to carry. The battle is no longer ours to fight. When we are in Christ, we, you and I, were able to overcome the world. We are no longer living defeated. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John, not the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Gospel of John at the beginning of our New Testament, but the first, like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John toward the end of our New Testament part of our Bibles, back by the book of, of Revelation. And if you got your phone, it's really easy. It's, you know, 1st John. It's pretty easy. Um, but I want to share this with you. So I've read through the book of 1st John, I don't know how many times. I have preached lots of sermons out of the book of 1 John. I've taught lessons out of the 1 John. And I don't know how many times I've read through 1 John, but somehow I've missed the power and the impact of 1 John chapter 5. I'm sorry, yes, 1 John um, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. So I'm going to read the first five verses so you get the whole context here. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Listen to verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John records for us the words of Jesus in the gospel or John or the book of John where Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And then John circles around years and years and years later writing letters to people that needed some encouragement and says, listen, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, guess what? You've overcome the world. If you are born again, you've overcome the world. And though it's true, the world wants to overcome us. The world wants to identify us by our worst moments. The world wants to strip us of life, strip us of joy, strip us of freedom. But just like Jesus, just like the one who saved us, just like the one who gives us his spirit, just like the one whose image we bear, when we see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us, we have this promise that you and I that we can and we do overcome the world. We overcome the world. As I said earlier, I like that name overcomer. I think it's important. Maybe we talk just a little bit more about what that word means. Well, you know, it might not be a word that we use every day. I can't remember any time besides working on this message in the last week that I've used the word overcomer, right? But it's not an uncommon word. It's not uh, you know, not familiar. The concept, we grasp it, right? We understand what that idea of overcoming is. But see, overcomer, though, it's not a church word. It's not a, it's not a Bible word. In fact, the very word that we get overcomer from shares the same root of the word victory or conquer. It's likely that some of you probably have the word overcomer somewhere on your piece of clothing that you're wearing today. 
Now, before you might assume that because we're from Maryland that I'm talking about Under Armour and somehow you think that Under Armour means overcomer. No, wrong one, wrong line, right? Not that one. Before you start checking your neighbor, you don't see your husband's like looking at your wife's tag, you know, to see if it says overcomer. Do you have overcomer brand, right? No, no, no. I'll give you a hint though. Uh, if you are wearing an officially licensed NFL Ravens jersey printed right on the tag is the word overcomer. If you have one of those on, feel free to look. Actually, you won't find it. Not quite like that. See, uh, I'm talking about the Greek word Nike. Nike. Uh, modern day, we say Nike or Nike, right? Nike, according to the uh, internet, is the correct way to say it. And literally, that word means to overcome, to have victory, to conquer, in light of today's message, I actually opted not to wear my Pumas, which I always wear on Sunday mornings, and I brought my shoes with the Overcomer logo printed right on them. Thank you very much um, for the person who gave me these shoes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they really did. <laughs> I didn't buy them. <laughs> I love it. So um, on a side note, anytime you wear your clothing that says Nike or Nike or Nike, you can be reminded that you are an overcomer. Now, if you wear Under Armour, I don't know what it's going to remind you of, but you can apply it to the sermon anyway. And when you wear your Under Armour stuff, just remember, I'm an overcomer as well, even though it doesn't mean so. So I was reading an article this week about Nike, Nike. Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman said they named their running shoe company Nike to say that their shoes are for the fastest runners, the winners of the race the victors, and the conquerors. And 34 times in the New Testament, uh, this Nike, or a form of Nike, is in there, in the letters and the writings. And most of the time, it's in there to encourage us, remind us who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And so what does it mean to be an overcomer? What does it mean to be victorious in this world? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that life becomes perfect. I mean, I wish that it did, but it doesn't. Being victorious, being Nike, being Nike, being Nikkei, being overcomer, being a conqueror, does not mean that there is no struggle. It doesn't mean there is no battle or no fight or no setbacks. In fact, Jesus promises that there will be. But I want you to look at it this way. If you're a sports fan, raise your hand if you're a sports fan. Three of you? Really? No, no, okay, okay, good, more hands, gotcha. Sports fans, have you ever watched the interviews after a sports event? Even when the team is a winner, they don't always just talk about all the good stuff that happened. They talk about the things that didn't go well, the plays that didn't work out so well, the mistakes that were made, right? So they recognize that even in the victory, that there were some problems or hiccups along the way. And in life, you and I, we're gonna find the exact same thing happening. Financial hits may still come. Illness, well, it's still going to happen. Temptations, well, we just don't stop getting those. Persecution is guaranteed. Death is unavoidable. Uh, but for the believer, we have the power to press ahead, the power to make it through. And though we experience hard times and troubles, and though sometimes it feels like we're taking two steps forward and one step back, we have to recognize that the power in doing so, the power in overcoming, isn't something we manufacture or generate on our own. You know, it's not us crossing our arms in defiance and say, well, I'm just going to overcome. No, it is by the power of God's Holy Spirit moving and working in us. 
It's not our will. It's not our power. It's the Spirit's power and God's will. And what God has willed for us, God is not going to abandon us in. He is going to help us to overcome. We read most of our New Testament. A lot of the letters are written by this guy named Paul. Paul was a religious leader, a Jew, a persecutor of the church, a hater of Christians. And when he encountered Jesus Christ, his world changed. Everything changed. And he became one of the greatest encouragers and teachers to the early church. And in in turn, 2,000 years later to us. And so he writes to the church in Corinth about this whole idea of pressing on, of being an overcomer. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, he says, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. And so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. And we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, well, I believe in God, so I spoke. And we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this, he says, is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Verse 16, Paul says, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. See, Paul recognizes that what we endure in this journey of life does not and will not compare to the victory that awaits us. He recognizes that there is a victory from Jesus because of the cross. And because of that victory at the cross, Jesus will see us through to the very end. And as a side note, Paul, if you know much about him, was arrested multiple times, shipwrecked, beaten, whipped. That man had struggles, that man had troubles. And he says, ah, they're light and momentary afflictions. Yet there is a great victory waiting for me. You see, at the cross... Jesus defeated sin. At the cross, he defeated death. And at the cross, he defeated the world. And he put Satan, the devil, in his place. And Jesus, at the cross, elevated those who had placed their faith in him to a new position, to a new identity. And that identity is that of being an overcomer. We are an overcomer. Paul wrote words again in a letter to the church or churches in Rome. Again, encouraging them to be overcomers. Romans chapter 8 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or are threatened with death? No, he says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And those are good words. Those are strong words for a troubled time that we live in. Those are great words for those who us, who we are declared to be overcomers and are figuring out what that looks like. Now, sometimes at the end of a message, someone says, well, I want to take away Virgil. I want something to go home with this. What do I do? What do I do? Yeah, it's great. I know that I'm an overcomer. What are some practical? Well, I'm going to give you five. First of all, here's some things from Scripture that are going to help us find victory. First is, we need to recognize that Jesus has set the example for us. We need to recognize that Jesus has set the example for us. He was the original overcomer. And he's given us his identity. We're to follow after. We need to rest in God's promises to us. We need to rest in God's promises to us. By, with, he lived his life. He died on a cross and proved that he could fulfill all of his promises by being raised again from the grave, right? We need to rest in those promises to us. And we need to renounce the sins that control us, right? We need to let go of those things that have held us at bay from God, that bring us the guilt, that bring us the shame, and that Satan uses to identify us. And then we need to reject the lies that Satan tells us. We need to move away from the lies that say, quit letting Satan define you in a way that God has never called you or chosen you to be. And we need to rejoice that in Christ, we are made victorious. And just because I can, I'm gonna throw a sixth one in there. You and I, we need to remain in his love. We need to remain in his love. Who is it? that overcomes the world. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are the Son of God. We believe that you came to earth to live a life as a man, uh, to take our punishment, to take our penalty for our sins, uh, and to die on a cross so that we could be given a new name, a new identity, that we could be a saint, that we could be born again, that, that we could be a victor, that we could uh, be Nikkei, that we could be Nike, that we could be an overcomer in this world. We thank you that we have been set free from our sins. We thank you that we've been called and chosen and given a new life and given a new name. And so we choose that and we claim that and we appreciate that. Help us to go out and live like that, recognizing that it's by your power of your spirit living in us 
that's going to equip us and enable us to be an overcomer in this life as we look forward to the ultimate victory in the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.